0: This podcast is brought to you by Action Planning. As a leader in recruiting, building and developing senior management teams exclusively for the charity sector, Action Planning looks beyond the obvious to find passionate people who can drive your organisation's success. To find out about how we can help your organisation achieve more or to find your next career step, visit actionplanning.co.uk.
1: You're listening to the podcast of the very first in a series of Guardian Careers events. Our inaugural event focused on careers in fundraising, how to get in, how to get on and how to move sideways into different roles. The panel included Paul Marvel, Director of Learning at the Institute of Fundraising and Joe Swinhoe, Director of Fundraising and Marketing at the Alzheimer Society. Joining them were Dr. Jill Mordant, Senior Lecturer in Social Enterprise at the Open University Business School and Head of HR at Macmillan, Peter Morgan. Recruitment consultant Adele Bird also joined the panel and she currently leads the Senior Recruitment Team at Action Planning. If you want to hear what they do in a bit more detail, just click on their names in the notes. Otherwise, sit tight and listen to the answers they shared with our lively audience. Okay, so I think we're going to start. First of all, just welcome, and thanks for coming out on a dark, cold November. Um, It's really lovely to see you all here, and uh, just welcome you to our first careers event, and it's all dedicated to fundraising. Is there anyone that's got a question that they'd like to ask? And if you have, put your hand up, because there's a mic coming. But please wait for the mic. And if you can tell us your name and where you're from, that would be really helpful. (coughs)
2: hello panel you you uh, can hold the mic if you oh, like yeah, cheers. <laughs> uh, hi. Um, thanks for your time guys i was a fundraiser a face-to-face fundraiser for about a year and a half and um, i think very highly of my role and responsibilities as a team leader and effectively line manager and i was wondering how you think uh, somebody with my experience would fare against somebody with office experience competing for an office job in line management, if
1: that makes sense. Who would like to take that?
3: Okay. I'll answer it by saying, uh, at the end of the day, if you've got the skills for the job and you've got the aptitude for whatever post you're going to, then I think probably, I can speak for all of us, so that's what you would be uh, recognised for. But take heart that lots and lots of face-to-face fundraisers do go on to build careers elsewhere. If you can sell to somebody on the street when frankly they don't want to speak to you, but they'd rather be doing something else, they're really not interested in your charity and you can still achieve your targets, you're doing something pretty exceptional. And I think you have to hold on to that just because some people don't like face-to-face fundraising, just because in some places it gets a bad reputation. Face-to-face fundraising is is essential to put some charities on the street. And I have certainly encouraged two people from face-to-face team to take office-based jobs. Actually, they found that quite hard because, you know, they like being outside and being more mobile and um, there's a certain amount of independence and entrepreneurial spirit about the face-to-face team, which is not the same when you have to sit down and, you know, really work set hours to different sorts of targets. But I see no problem in what you're doing. You just have to uh, take confidence what you've already delivered and make sure you sell that when you go to an interview. Yeah,
2: thanks. Is that okay? Yeah, it's a great answer. Thanks.
1: Anyone else? Again, if you just tell us who you are and where you're from, that'd be really helpful.
0: Thank you. Hi, my name's Melissa. Um, I wanted to ask about branding. What kinds of challenges you see today in the market for, uh, for charitable organisations? and what kind of teams you have in place if you do what kinds of responsibilities you do in branding I,
2: I can give an answer is that um, we, we don't have our, our branding is actually not handled within fundraising it's a, we actually have a department called external affairs which is responsible for all of Macmillan's brand branding and we've gone through in the last Twelve months and are still actually going through quite a big rebranding exercise, which has been linked to a you know to a relatively large scale uh, marketing exercise as well. Which you know I think most people have seen that, and from our point of view, brand and our fundraising capability go hand in hand. Being you know number one in the sector or whatever it is gives you that opportunity to actually get out there and much more effectively fundraise. So the the relationship between our external affairs people, who generally come from you know Direct marketing backgrounds and, and things of that nature, the relationship they have with the fundraising side is, is very is very significant, and there's a lot of cross-departmental collaboration and a lot of cross-functional project work in that that <coughs> drives that thinking around brand and and uh, how we're going to represent Macmillan particularly from our perspective, differently to Alzheimer's, is I think you know, it's not sitting within the fundraising function. It is slightly outside Does of Does anyone
1: that. else have anything to say about branding? <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I think I would just say that I am responsible for brand, but it is a corporate responsibility. So there are tensions between the brand work and the fundraising work, and sometimes I will go on the other side to fundraising, and sometimes I will make a fundraising decision. That's partly because our brand is quite young, Uh, We want to keep it very clean, you know, we have a lot of white space, some of that is around the people with dementia that we're serving, and a complicated and complex representation of our uh, organisation would not help, and they are first and foremost our audience. So we have to remember why we are in the marketplace, we need money to do what we do, but our brand speaks for people with dementia, not for fundraising. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, I kind of take a corporate edge on it, rather than the fundraising take.
1: Joel, did you want to?
3: Um, I, just, I just wanted to say that I think <coughs> branding is quite a
4: complex issue for, for voluntary organisations, precisely for the reasons that I think Amanda's said, uh, because I think it is about the whole image of the organisation. But what I do want to say is I also think that fundraising is the responsibility of everybody in the organisation when it comes down to it. It isn't just the responsibility of the fundraiser. And no fundraiser can be responsible all by themselves, they need the cooperation of other people in the organisation. So that sort of building the brand of the organisation can be quite a useful activity for people, particularly if they want to sort of develop the fundraising relationship across the whole organization. Because they can begin to engage everybody in what the organization's about and what its unique selling point is and, and what the sorts of things are that would likely to appeal to donors and getting people thinking about those issues. Okay, thanks. Who's next?
5: Hello, yeah, I'm my name's Julian and um, I currently do a fair bit of kind of bid writing work related to uh,
2: education and employment.
5: I wanted to ask what the freelance opportunities were in
2: funding.
0: Who would like to take that? Well, I can probably answer that. (laughs) I mean, in terms of action planning, we have an associate database of people who are looking for freelance opportunities, and we manage that. And so we have a lot of charities that contact us who need help with specific areas, and so I would say, you know, send us your CV to look at the possibility of being on our database for that. And I'm sure there's others that do something similar. And we have our research side just actually bid writing and just secured over a million pounds for one of the children's charities recently. So, you know, it's a really key area. It's a really key service that we offer to organisations. And there are opportunities there for people with those skills, definitely.
1: Is it, is it a, a sort of feature
0: of fundraising that it's short-term contracts? Is it? Or not? I don't like short-term contracts. Okay. For certain organisations, particularly for small organisations, they, they perhaps haven't got the capacity to actually have a fundraising team and a fundraising operation. So having people, freelancers, who they can you know, use Deep and in call in with. to mm. do certain projects rather than have somebody on the payroll the whole time. But I mean, I encourage people to have a longer term career. I don't like people with just two years here, there and everywhere on their CV. Fundraising is about relationships. It's and about commitment. developing over mm. a long period of time. And quite honestly, what, what somebody's delivered in two years is the result of the person who was there for the two years before that establishing those relationships that they've then then developed and and seen to fruition it's a long term did you want to come in paul sorry yeah if i could just
5: build on this this sort of emerging uh, um, issue that didn't come directly from the question but i i I think is an (laughs) interesting one Um, nonetheless i think as a fundraiser it's desirable to have people in your team who have longevity of experience in the organizations in which they've worked, not only because they're unlikely to have proven themselves in in a year or 18 months, but also because it's, it, I think, to your own benefit as a fundraiser to show that to demonstrate your credibility through working with an organisation for a reasonable length of time. And I think there's a tremendous pressure, particularly on younger fundraisers, to sort of develop their career as quickly as they possibly can to reach to the top, which I guess is a, a director of fundraising posts. But that comes at a cost if you don't have the experience of, life, of managing people, of working in in, in a varying different range of fundraising disciplines. So I would encourage anyone considering a career in fundraising or who already is in a career in fundraising to think very carefully about their next move. Do, as what Jill said, research the organisations that you want to work for, but do not join an organisation for which you're not passionate about the cause. Because I think in order to sell the organisation to its donors um, and to potential donors. You have to be passionate about the cause and it's relationship-based and how can you build a relationship with a donor if you're here uh, and, you know, somewhere else tomorrow.
3: Thank could, you. could I just add something yep. else? I think that going into a small charity can be really <coughs> a difficult place to be. You're on your own, but it's, it can be the best steep learning curve mm-hmm. if you're prepared yeah. to put yourself yeah. out to it. Because fundraising is not about marketing. Fundraising is about raising money through different income streams. Mm. So I respect Macmillan's decision to encourage people as part of their professional development to do a marketing qualification. I would certainly encourage that if I felt it would add value. But I am absolutely committed to the Institute's certificate and management program because I believe that gives a good introduction to the number of income streams that you need to understand if you want to have a career like mine. Um, I started doing a job which was about event coordinating, whatever that meant. Um, I organized a farm fair. I had to liaise about contracts. I had to talk to corporates. I had to get people to perform juggling acts and deal with sheepdogs and stray chickens. You know, I actually dressed up as a chicken as well, but that's another story. Um, If I had done a marketing qualification, I wouldn't have understood the importance of the individual personal relationships that I was building right from the very beginning and that has carried me right through 15 years so i believe the institute does an excellent job i'm really excited about their new career program um i think it's more professional and you know one of the things we should be looking for in our industry
1: okay let's move on sorry sorry i just want to move on i just want to get as many questions in as possible
3: hi um my name's Lindsay and I
4: work for a small health charity um, and I recognize a lot of the points that people have been making about um, sort of longevity and the amount of time it takes to develop uh, relationships but what I'd like to sort of pose as a question is is how do you deal with it if your position in that charity isn't working out in the way that you want it to and you want to move on after a shorter length of time um, how do you deal with that and still ensure that you're progressing in your career and not showing that kind of gap on the CV as you know a short-term contract? I'll, Anyone? I'll, I'll, I'll come in there I mean while well, listening to other people on the, on the panel I think people have had checkered careers and I think it's about making the most of the experience you have uh, one of my jobs I walked out of after six months because I didn't like the person I was working for And it felt like jumping off the end of a cliff, and I didn't know what I was going to do. But in fact, if I hadn't walked out of that job, I wouldn't have walked into my tutoring at the Open University. At the time, it didn't look to me like it was a good move, because I think I was getting about £1,000 a year working as a tutor for the Open University when I started. But in fact, it grew into something and and became something that I just love doing. I love the students we have. I love the kind of work we do. And I wouldn't have gone there if I hadn't walked out of something that wasn't working for me. So, not to worry is the advice, yes
0: I would say you 're allowed to make a mistake in yeah. your career yeah. as well yeah. and as as somebody who obviously reads c v s for a living, yeah. um, I also actually advise people on their on their c v s and When I do that service, I get people to talk through exactly every move they've made, why they made it. And, you know, it's okay to have a mistake. It's if you have just stayed 18 months here, 18 months there, never stayed anywhere for long. But if you've made a mistake, if there's something not right about the organisation or not right, you know, for you within it, that is okay. But just be honest that that wasn't right, but you learnt from it and now you're ready for your next career move and there you're wanting to stay for longer. It's not that you're a job hopper. Thanks. Uh, Paul, you want us to come
1: in here, Yeah, just a
5: really quick point on that. I've been in that situation, so I know exactly how you feel. And I think the worst thing you can do as a fundraiser is be unhappy in your job, because that will show to your donors and to the other colleagues that you're working with, you know, my advice is to make sure that you find the right opportunity coming up, that you don't jump into something that's going to be another um, unhappy experience, and that you make sure you make the right decision, but there is no harm in it.
1: Okay, next question.
6: Um, Hello, Um, my name is Barbara, and up until uh, July of this year, I was working for a small charity as a fundraising manager. Sadly, I got made redundant. Um, I've been looking for another role, and my question really was about the institute um, institute's qualification i did actually do jill's course i knew i recognized the surname <laughs> i've read the book um did the panel really believe that this course that i sweated to achieve will help me in my job search or is it going to be more about the experience over
4: to you jill <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is, I, I mean, today I came, fr- I came here from a board meeting of a small charity that I'm involved with, who's looking for a fundraiser, actually. <laughs> but I think if I'm recruiting people, and I've been on loads of recruitment panels in the voluntary sector over the years, having somebody who's actually taken the trouble to go and study something about it, as well as having experience of it, stands them in good stead, in my view, and well done. <laughs> did
1: you, Paul did you Yes say- I
5: did I think a professional qualification in fundraising is going to become an essential requirement um, over the next 10 years I can see Um, It appearing on person specifications and job descriptions that you will be expected to be a member of the Institute of Fundraising and to have a qualification at an appropriate level. At the moment we're just introducing a new framework of qualifications which goes from entry level right up to the most senior level and we'll be implementing that over the next three years. There's currently just one um, qualification, which is the Certificate in Fundraising Management. A recent um, survey that was carried out by a consortium of eight professional bodies, which includes the CIPD and the Chartered Institute of Marketing, found that if You're a member of a professional body and you have a relevant professional qualification. Over your lifetime career, that will add up to £152,000 of extra income. So, you know, it's a good investment um, in your time to be a member of a professional organisation and to have a relevant professional qualification.
6: Thank you. Uh, Next question. Um, good evening. Um, I'm Joanna. I've had previous experiences in um, adult education, and then working as a manager f- of urban regeneration projects in a local authority. And many of the sort of skills that you've mentioned, like you know the, the campaigning or the lobbying or the talking to businesses or dealing with the voluntary sector, are things which I've done in that capacity. And I have been an external funding manager as well in a local th- authority. So that's really statutory funding and European funding. Now. Mm-hmm. I would like to broaden my experience and I found that many um, posts are very, very specific in what they want in terms of, you know, it has to be a major gifts person or it's got to be the donors. I feel I've got a lot of transferable skills and I'm not quite sure how how I could best organise the transition, you know, from the statutory to some of these other roles.
4: One thing I would suggest to you, if you can organise it, is actually either seeing if your organisation will give you a placement, that's one thing you can ask for. Another thing I think is is just, and I think probably a lot of us got into things this way, is just volunteering for something and getting some experience that way. And actually going and offering to help and getting a taste, you know, of seeing what what they do and and whether that suits you. There's plenty of opportunities out there, just ring up an organisation you fancy and see what's going for you.
0: Adele, um, a couple of things I'll add on that. Um, and one thing that I really like to encourage people to do is look at becoming a trustee. It's a slightly longer-term way of gaining experience, but the sector needs trustees, mm-hmm. and it needs a, a good mix of people on So again, you know, we've talked about being passionate and interested in the organisation. Find an organisation that you're interested in, and you know, and, and look at that as a possibility. And that can give you a lot of experience and understanding, and develop your skills. I mean, I'm chairman of a small charity, and. In fact, I'm de facto chief executive because it's so small, and you know that gives me a huge amount of skills and experience that I perhaps wouldn't have otherwise had. Uh, so I really encourage that, and you know, and charities will welcome you with open arms. Um, and in terms of, I mean, transferable skills, I think here we've got in, in the Alzheimer's Society, Andy Macmillan, two really fantastic charities that actually actively look for people from outside the sector to transfer in. There's an awful lot of charities who put at least two years previous experience, and I spend my life telling charities to take that out of their persons. Because I think you're then recruiting in ever-decreasing circles. And I really like the charities that are willing to look outside the sector, because then you get new innovation, you get new ideas, and you get new blood coming into the sector. And I think that is really crucial. So, you know, I really try and convince people of that. And again, when I do the CV advice for people who are wanting to transfer into the sector, I say, even if it says that on the job description answer it showing how you've got those transferable skills and saying why you're wanting to work for that organization what your passion is for that organization and why you think you can meet that requirement albeit in a slightly different way so if they haven't thought of it themselves you know see if you can you can convince them of that as well okay
1: thank you let's move on we've only got time for another couple and then we're going to have a drink.
6: Hi, I'm Sue Davy. I'm Chief Executive at the Meningitis Trust and I just wondered whether I could turn the question the other way in terms of what should people be looking for in an organisation with regards to support as they come into it as a fundraiser, possibly as a first time fundraiser. So what should they be looking for in that interview process to make sure they're making the right decision? That's a good question. Who, who, who would like to answer that?
2: I go um I mean I think it's a really big issue about um I can tell you that in Macmillan for example our turnover of uh, new starters people with under uh, 18 months of service is it represents almost 40% of our total turnover, and we are we've been quite concerned about that very issue about actually getting it right at the front end. I think there are some things, and it's been mentioned on the panel elsewhere, is you know you have to have a commitment to the, the particular cause. We talk a lot now, we talk at the interview stage about our values as an organisation, and we actually quite specific about what our values are, and we actually interview around that, and we explain that whole process to people, you know and if you want to come and work. With us, this is the sort of organization we are. And we're actually starting now to do a lot more of actually explaining the organization structure and the hierarchy around you know what people will come and work in and what the environment they will work in in terms of an organizational environment, that they will know about it and they'll be quite comfortable. And it's quite difficult for Macmillan. We are a thousand people, that's quite a big charity in some ways. And for us that means Quite specific jobs. So, our job descriptions can be quite narrowly defined and quite specialist. Um, Whereas in other charities, and we've merged recently with some smaller charities, what we've found is that they have much broader (coughs) job roles. So, you know, that's a really important thing that I think candidates need to find out from an organisation going into it. And, you know, there will be mismatches, and I think that's one of the issues that we are trying to address.
3: Um, I'll add to that, if I may. I think the important thing is that. The interview is a two way process. Mm-hmm. The candidate is selecting the charity just as much as the charity is selecting the candidate. So I am always pleased when people ask what's the induction program like, um, what training and development opportunities are there for me, who's my line manager, you know, because sometimes people do forget to ask. We don't do value based interviewing in the same way that I think uh, Peter is describing in Macmillan. Um, so our interviews are around the role and I don't know whether I'm doing something wrong or something right but my turnover is like zero so that's because partly because we're growing very fast we're actually in staff numbers bigger than Macmillan um, smaller in turnover clearly they're a bigger charity but uh, we have 1500 staff and I think what we have tried to do is keep quite generic job descriptions which does allow people to come in on all sorts of jobs not just fundraising but service support and delivery media campaigns they can show good transferable skills um, a commitment to our cause and a willingness to learn and study then i'm always open to to that conversation
1: well i know i was going to take one more question just one more okay very quick
6: (laughs) Hello, my name's Irene. Um, I work for a, for a fairly small organisation of about 100 people. I'm very interested in working for in, within a much larger organisation. I mean, how easy is it to make that transfer from a very small organisation as a loan fundraiser to working within a large team? I mean, is it encouraged or...? acceptable common well i I can only
3: say irene that i've done it and it was great fun you know the the farm was um i was the only fundraiser there um and nspcc was a very large charity when i joined it even bigger now Uh, so i think you just have to be uh, courageous i think you have to remember that you're doing a great job as a loan fundraiser and that you have skills it will be different culturally it won't just be you making decisions though and you have to remember that um where your team in the charity that you're in is about you plus service delivery people or whatever your, you know, charity does, the team in a bigger charity is much more about working together to achieve an objective, slightly different. So you might want to think about how you show at interview that you're able, capable or got transferable experience to show that you can do that.
5: And I, I would also add, having also worked in big and small charities, that um, I think the, the diff, big difference between working in a larger charity is that um, fundraising tends to be specialised, so you'll be working in a department that does a particular thing, like direct marketing, <laughs> corporate partnerships or trusts, whereas you may have been used to doing the whole lot Um, in a smaller charity so that's something that you would need to think very carefully if that's that's the direction that you wanted to take or if you prefer to remain as a generalist and there are swings and roundabouts with both I think.
1: Okay I think we're going to finish there Um, so I, I just hope that you would thank the panel with me with a round of applause.